we are now going to open the Word of God together. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can open it with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Um, if you don't, don't worry, I'll put all this on the screen for you. Um, what we've been doing in Ecclesiastes, we're following the preacher. And the preacher is, um, uh, I'm, I was going to say week after week. He just kind of wrote it. I don't know how long it took him. But we have been looking at parts of Ecclesiastes week to week. And he's on these different quests. And so this whole thing is just saying, if I, if I kind of take God out of the picture and I just look at life and what's happening around me, then um, like how do I make sense of that? Where do I find meaning? So he's talking about like looking under the sun. And so it's like he's, you know, God's up here and he's kind of shielding his eyes under the sun. He's looking at like how do I make sense of life if I'm taking God out of the picture? And so he's tried, um, maybe I'll just be super wise and I'll, and I'll find meaning in life in that. And he says, no, 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 that, that's enigmatic. It's unfulfilling. Nope. Um, he's tried uh, living the path of pleasure, like full, like every resource, any bit of pleasure that I want, I'm just going to go for it. He found that did not satisfy him in the way that he wanted to. The path of wise living, the path of, of like hard work, diligent labor, all these things just keep like leaving him unfulfilled. A few weeks ago, we came across an interlude in the book of Ecclesiastes, and Pastor Nathan took us through that. So um, Ecclesiastes 3, he took a break in the middle of his quest, and he said, um, basically calls us to trust in God. So remember, that was the section about there's a time for um, this and a time for that. The time for everything under the sun, and God, like trust God because he makes everything beautiful in its time. So Nathan led us in wrestling with that. He had a little interlude. We got back into a couple of quests. Now, today, this morning, we're on another interlude. And the way we can tell that he's doing this is he's not talking about what he sees under the sun. He's not using language like I observed or then I saw, those kinds of things that he's saying in his quest. Now he's stepping back and he's just saying, okay, if I, if I stop looking under the sun and I begin now to consider God in light of all this, he's giving us the opportunity to kind of pause and put this all in perspective. So this is a, this is a unique gift in Ecclesiastes because the book is often just so... Um, uh, relentless in helping us see how meaningless everything is apart from God. So um, I, wanna, I want us to start here. So he's going he's gonna to look uh, above, right? He's going he's gonna to stop uh, putting his hands out. He's going to look above and consider God in this. And so I, wa I want us to start doing the same thing. Now, listen, I know I am speaking in a, in a church building right now, okay? So I know that a lot of us, most of us, have a, a faith commitment to where we believe God is real or, and all those kinds of things, right? Pretty safe assumption that most of us are on that same page. I'm going to ask you to, to picture this anyways, okay? Picture, picture, believe with me for a second that God is actually real, okay? I know you guys are like, no, this isn't hard. But I'm saying, no, do it, do it. I know you believe, but I'm just saying, think of it for a second. What if there's actually a God in heaven, okay? A God who like created everything. All of us. Like just imagine for a second that he's really truly there. I know, I know most of you believe this, but I'm saying we forget and we get numb. So think about it for a second. A God that made everything. A God that sees and knows everything that's happening on this earth, everything that ever has happened, everything that ever will happen on this earth. Imagine that that God is actually real. Imagine that, like, there's actually a God up there that, like, as the scripture says, that he dwells in unapproachable light, okay? So try to picture that. There's God up there and this light that's just, like, surrounding him and coming out from him. Like, you can't even get close to it because of the brightness that's around him all the time. A God who, like, as the scripture says, he is constantly being worshipped by these, like, terrifying angelic figures um, that are just constantly around him shouting out his praise. Imagine for a second that that God is actually real, okay? And again, I know most of us, we believe that's real, but put yourself in that mindset. Yes, he's there. He's present with us here. How would that change the way that we view what we do when we come into here? The way we sing those songs? Like, I, I have... 
a huge advantage over you guys in that I know what I'm going to say on a Sunday most of the time. And uh, I know what songs we're going to sing. And even so, I knew, like, I was going to come in here this morning and be like, guys, we need to be thinking about God while we sing. And even then, I stood right over there and I sang those songs and my head was not in the game. I was not picturing this God on the throne. It's just, it's such a hard thing to do. We're in church circles, but this is exactly what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is asking us to do. So let's do it together. He starts uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 3. This is what he says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. All right, so here is, like, this is, like, pretty intense for Ecclesiastes. I hope you can see that. And he's t- saying, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So um, definitely in, the, in Israel, in the Old Testament, they had the temple. That was the house of God in this really intense way. This still, as a church building, is still the house of God, maybe in, like, a, a, a little bit different of a way. But, like, still, it's like we're coming to, like, intentionally enter into God's presence together as a family. And he's saying, when you do that, guard your steps. Don't, don't skip into this place. You know, don't, don't just, like, come into God's presence, like, without a thought or a care. Like, be careful about how you do this, which, which I, where I'm going to resolve the tension of that. I feel a lot of tension with that because I feel there's this welcoming with God that we still have. But he's, he's calling us to, like, remember, though, that this is a serious thing. Consider it. Weigh it. Because here's what happens. There, there's a curse that we have of familiarity with the things of God. So for me, I am like uh, the product of like generations of Christian families, okay? So like um, as far back as I know, everyone that's like related to me in any way is, is Christian and has always been. My, my dad led the music in church. My mom was the administrator of the Christian school I went to. She also led the choir in our church. I spent like so many hours, like Sunday mornings, and then whenever choir practice was, felt like it was like every night of the week, like to me as a, as a kid. My mom would be like up here, like conducting the choir, and I would be like under pews, over pews, like just like everywhere. And my mom would look back and she caught me going over a pew, that's trouble. So then it's like back to army crawling underneath the things. So there's like this holy place in a sense, right? And yet like I had no, like the, the familiarity just led to like, there's no respect, there's no, you know. And, and, I, and so for us, we come in here time and time again. Look, there, this is just a building, right? It's just a place. There's nothing, there's nothing like sacred about the building other than the fact that God is here, Right? God is here. And we come together specifically to say we're coming into the house of God. And so this familiarity sometimes can be a bit of a curse because we're used to it. And he's calling us to say, hey, think, though, about what it is that you're doing when you're coming into the house and the presence of God. As we, as we say, hey, together, guys, let's worship God. Let's learn about him. Let's draw near together to God. He's saying, take that very seriously. The problem with Israel, man, Israel had this problem of overfamiliarity. So they were, they were God's people. He had called them. He had, he had put his temple in their midst so they would remember God is here with you. But what happens is they had this huge familiarity with him. And so in, Je- in Jeremiah 7, here's like God like reminding his people. He says, don't trust in these deceptive words. And, and this is interesting. What are the deceptive words? 
this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It's like the repetition makes me feel like it's like a song where they're just like happily like, oh, this is God's temple. So everything is good. We're in the temple. Everything's good. But look at how he uh, addresses them here in verse 8. Behold, your trust in deceptive words uh, to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it, declares the Lord. So God is reminding this people, his people Israel, and saying, look, you're coming in, you have all this familiarity, you're so proud that this is the house of God, the temple of God, and yet when you come into this place, he's like, you're coming as like a bunch of liars, you're defrauding the people around you, you're like, you're clearly not worshiping me in how you live your life, and yet you want to come in here and just be like, oh, this is God's house, everything is great. He's just saying, I think exactly what Ecclesiastes is saying Guard your steps when you come into house, the house of God. Consider what it is that we do when we're saying, let's join together and come into this place. Like he's saying, like, don't, don't assume that you always know what you're doing when we come in here. We, we, we know what to do, right? We know, like, whose hand to shake when you come in. We know where the coffee is. You know who to kind of skirt around and avoid when they come and try to talk to, to you. You know, like, we get all familiar with this stuff. You know where to sit so that if, if we do ever happen to have one of those turn and shake your neighbor's hand side, you... Uh, can conveniently step out to the bathroom or something like that, you know. We just come into all these things, and, and he's saying, the, the questions we ask, we, we ask in churches, we tend to ask questions like, um, like, what are other churches doing that we should be doing, right? Or, or we ask questions like, how do we get more people to, like, sit their butts in this place and work together? I'm sorry for saying uh, that word, butts. I said it again. I'm sorry. You guys are good, but my grandpa would be re really upset right now. That's literally what popped into my head. Um, Anyway, we try, we try to do things like, how do we get more people? How do we, do, like, and, and the question we should be asking is, okay, we're coming into God's presence. What, is, what does he want for us? What is God, like, wh God, what do you have, as I'm coming in with your people to sit in your presence, what do you want for me this morning? And so that, that's kind of the question he's saying. Instead of coming with all these words and all this talk and all this, like, we're doing all the talking and everything, come instead and come to listen uh, to what God has for you. See, the thing with, with Israel is they, they constantly, man, constantly Israel had this tendency to go away from God. They were God's people, but they'd go away from him over and over and over again. You know the one thing that Israel never failed to do in all that time? They never failed to do the temple stuff. They were always, I mean, there were always sacrifices being offered. There was always the ritual stuff going on. Now, there, there of course came a time where like the temple eventually was in disrepair. They were pulled in exile away from it. But through all these times when God's like, like was, um, God's people's heart were pulled away from him, they kept doing the religious things externally. It just didn't match what was real on the inside. And, and I think the familiarity that we have often pulls us into a space like that where, man, we're, our our hearts are far from what God is, uh, is calling us into, but we still do the external things. And so the call that we have is don't come in gathering together as God's people, just business as usual, just casual. No, think about what it is that we're doing. In our culture, we just try to talk through everything. We try to, I think we try to maintain control by like defending ourselves, explaining ourselves, talk it through. And he's telling us, hey, um, in, in, uh, in verse one here, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So he's calling it foolish to come in. Like instead of listening, we're just talking. Uh, we're, we're rash with our mouths. We're, we're hasty to utter words before God. And so he's just saying, look, here's what you have to consider. God's in heaven. 
you're down here on earth, like weigh your words accordingly. There's something profound and important about who God is. He even says, I like how he says in verse 3 there, a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. So if you, if you think of uh, like what he's saying there, it's a little tricky, but I think what he's saying is, you know, when you're really busy, you've been working really hard, you're exhausted, you're wearing yourself out um, physically, psychologically, emotionally, um, and then you lay down to go to sleep, your, your body like needs the rest, but your mind is not letting you just rest, right? You're kind of replaying events in your heads, and so you have these weird dreams and, and things like that. So I think you know, when there's all this busyness, you're going to get these dreams uh, that come. And in the same way, when you hear a whole lot of words, coming out of someone's mouth, he's saying, yeah, yeah, that's when you know you're hearing the voice of a fool. Um, the person that comes and is just constantly speaking and never listening, that's problematic. And he's saying, especially when you come into God's house, don't be that person. Um, I, I am, uh, I'm a male. I'm just going to let you guys know that. Um, and, uh, and as a man, I have found in myself this tendency to mansplain things to people, okay? It's not my fault. I, I, like, I think it's, it's related to my gender and everything, but I just, um, when, when someone is talking about something that I know something about, it's hard not to just jump in and kind of explain that to them, right? And so I'm, I'm trying. I'm, like, working on it. Uh, in our marriage, like, Laura and I, like, I've, I've learned pretty early on that, like, um, as different things come up in her life that she's experiencing that are difficult, she'll explain them to me. And then I have this tendency to say, oh, here's what you need to do in that situation. So I'll explain to her, here's the solution to your problem. I see, I see Mike Berge is really laughing hard. We've, <laughs> we've got the same problem here. Um, and and I, I feel like I had to learn, okay, actually, so I don't always have to jump in with a solution, right? So, so my insane confidence in my solutions to someone else's problems is probably really unwarranted and really arrogant. Um, also, sometimes she just wants to talk, okay? But also, sometimes when I jump in to do all this talking, it's like I'm centering myself in the middle of her problem. I'm making it about me, and it's actually about her and what she's experiencing. And so um, I've completely eradicated this. I'm a great husband now. Um, it's totally <laughs> fine. Um, I'm going to have to replay this part of the sermon a bunch of times. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's kind of like what we're, we're doing when we come to God so often. It's like we come and any interaction we have with God is just, just talking, telling him things, speaking. Um, and, and, and we're not taking the preacher's advice here of just saying, hey, come carefully into God's house and make sure that you're listening. Listen to what God would say to you. Listen to what you could learn. Listen to how he would guide you rather than just explaining to God what you're doing all the time and what you want all the time and, and, um, and just running our mouths all the time. The, the fool, if you read through Proverbs, which comes before this, if you read through Proverbs, the fool is like the main character in the book of Proverbs. And the problem with the fool is that he never listens. He's always talking. He's never listening. And so we have to get ourselves into this place where we we receive the blessing of being people that just simply listen to God. There's a huge blessing in that. So a couple of ways I think that plays out. So at this time, guard your steps when you come to the house of God, drawing near to listen. Drawing near to listen at this time would have meant going into the temple, and they would be reading like the law of God in the temple. And so come now to the temple of God, and rather than you just spouting all these things to God or about God, just quiet yourself and listen to the words that God is speaking. The reality is that when we gather like this, 
what I say, like it matters. Like I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. What God says like matters in all caps and bold and huge or whatever. Like what God says to us in his word always has to shape us. And so when God speaks, like that's when we listen the most. You guys can tune out entire sermons if you need to. Just clue in when we're reading these parts because this is like the voice of God. So we come to listen. And even as we're worshiping, as we're singing these songs, we're speaking these words to God. Let's make sure that as we do that, we're, we're listening. God, you speak to me through this. I, I'll, I'll speak to you. I'll sing to you. I'll definitely praise you and lift you up. But God, speak to me. So on the one hand, it's like the reading of God's word is listening to God in these settings. On the other hand, I, I, um, I read this book uh, a few years ago that was so huge for me. It was, it's called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And the concept there is he, he talks about John 10. And John's saying, uh, Jesus is like our shepherd. He's the good shepherd for us. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. And, and he calls them and, they, and we follow him. And, and the whole idea there is, um, in addition to reading scripture and clearly hearing God's voice there, there's also this reality where we kind of learn to, to perceive like God's voice. That God is speaking to us and we're his children, we're his sheep. He's the shepherd, he's our father. And so as he speaks to us, learning to kind of Tune in to say, okay, God, is that, is that you speaking? What, is it, what does it mean for me to hear your voice? What does it mean for me to follow your promptings and, and those kinds of things? And so um, uh, clearly we hear God in Scripture, but we also take time when we enter in his presence to say, Lord, would you please be the one speaking to me? Let, let, me, let my words be way fewer than your words. Would you say more than, than I do as we interact in these kinds of things? I mean, I've, I've just found like so much of Christianity we've made into this like talking about kind of a thing, a knowing about kind of a thing. But I think the invitation in this is to see, man, it's not, it's not about talking about God, it's talking to God, right? It's not about knowing about God, it's about knowing God. And we have that, that ability, that, that invitation to come and do that and connect to him, but we'll never find that if we're always talking, 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 always self-expressive. Our culture is so self-expressive, but there's this blessing in simply listening to God, to stop and have the humility to say, Lord, speak to me. I don't want to assume that I knew, that I know what I'm doing here. And, and to do what he says, God is in heaven, we're on earth, so let's let our words be few and let him speak to us and guide us. What a, what a beautiful thought and invitation for us. Now, he's going to go on, and I'm going to look at the last uh, few verses that we're going to look at this morning. And he's saying a similar thing, but from a different angle. Oh, I skipped that. Don't worry about it. Here we go. <laughs> Um, verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So, same thing he's been saying, right? When you come to God, like, be careful about what you say. Like, let's, let's, let's chill out a bit. Let's be quicker to listen. Let's be slower to explain ourselves to God and explain God and all these kinds of things. But let's listen. And I think here he's kind of saying this idea of making vows to God and being careful with that. I think he's saying, if you're going to say something to God, that's a good thing. If you're going to say something to God, make sure you mean what you say. I think that's what he's really getting at. When you're going to say something to God, make sure that you mean it. Don't, don't take it for granted. Don't be flippant about the way that you come and talk to God. I think there's so many religious games that we play. And I think it's, it's almost like the preacher here is just saying, hey, guys, you're so good at doing religious things and playing religious games. Stop for a bit. Just consider who you're talking to. And let's speak carefully when we come to God. He, he says in verse 6, um, 
Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Don't say before the messenger that it was a mistake. I, I just picture, you know, that, that text message that you send or that email that you send. And almost as soon as it's gone, you're like, oh my goodness, how do I get that back? You know what I'm saying? You're like, you're like oh, I sent that and I, I didn't mean it. I didn't think it through, right? And there's just like, there's no way to like get that email back or get that text message back. By the way, I uttered that sentence first service, and then, of course, some young person came up to me and says, you can unsend texts. And I was like, nobody tells us old people about this, you know? I turned 40, and it's like whatever avenue for finding out features of things is just gone to me. So apparently you can unsend texts now, so, um, but still be careful what you say the first time. Um, I think that's the principle. Th- there's this whole side of like, when we talk to God, do we treat him like it matters that we get to talk to him? Do we treat him like he matters as we talk to him? Are we, are we weighing what we're saying? Are we just like, you know, in here, like, and I'll just be, I'll be the first one to admit, I come in here and I sing songs like, um, you know, God, I surrender all to you, you know, whatever. And I'm like not considering what the word surrender means, what all means. I'm not considering what you means as I'm talking to God. So we're just, we're so quick to say things to God. And he's just saying, hey, when you say it, just make sure that you mean it. Put your heart behind it. Make sure that you're not just rolling through things. First um, Corinthians 11 has a similar warning. Paul in the New Testament is talking about the way the, the, the church community is taking the Lord's Supper together. So they're, they're eating the bread that represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. They're drinking the wine that was a, a picture of Jesus' blood that he shed. And so they're coming together. And instead of remembering Jesus, what they're doing is they're kind of like veering into party territory. And they're just like, Dude, let's eat as much as we can. Let's drink as much as we can. Let's have a great time. And it tended to be the rich people enjoying that while the poor people had to kind of wait to see if there's anything left over for them. And Paul just comes in and he's like, what you're doing is not celebrating the Lord. What you're doing is actually awful. And he's saying, look, like take this seriously. Like examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper, before you celebrate this to make sure that what you're really celebrating is the Lord's Supper. So there's this call to remember and to look more deeply and to say, Look, all the religious activity aside, right? There, I, I love what we do when we come together. I love gathering with you guys. I love these, like, church services. But there's always that reminder to say, hey, what, what have we grown numb to? Like, what have we begun to take for granted? What's become routine? And how do we step back from that and just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to set all this aside. How do you want to speak to me this morning? What do you want from me this morning? Like, how, how would you lead and move me? And how can I find you in all these external things that we do? That's always the question that we have to ask. I, I think when we come uh, to gather with God's people, to come into God's presence, we, we have to ask, okay, what, what matters more? It, like, is there what I want to get out of a church gathering? Like, is, is that what matters the most? Or is it what God wants to say to me? And I read this uh, commentator, David Gibson. He was saying, um, he's saying we, we tend to think of God like listening in on our words like with a microphone. So just picture, you know, God's got a microphone in this room and he's hearing what we're saying and then he's like up in heaven somewhere and he's like listening in and he's just like, okay, what are, let's just hear what these people are saying about me, you know? And it's like, mm, that's good. Mm, that's kind of inaccurate. Mm, I don't appreciate your tone there when you're saying that, right? So God's just off surveilling what we're doing and saying, right? And I, I feel like I often have that picture. God hears us, right? But it's kind of from a distance and it's with a microphone. Um, but this, this commentator, David Gibson, is saying, it's actually not like that. It's actually more like God is listening to us with a stethoscope. And so picture the way a, a doctor uses a stethoscope. He puts it in his ears and he gets really close to you, right? And he's not listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. In fact, he's putting that often over your heart, right? And he's hearing things about you that you can't hear yourself. You're not hearing your heartbeat. You're not hearing what's happening inside your body. And so it's God is listening and he cares, but he doesn't care so much about 
all the things that are coming out of our mouths because sometimes that's not even that well thought through. He's coming into a part of ourselves that's deeper even than we're aware of, and he's listening in. And so what are we going to say to God? What are we going to do when we come into his presence together? Are we going to come to listen and ask God, what do you want for me? You made me. You made me. You're my God. You've been, you've been guiding my steps. You've been like, prepare, like work, making everything beautiful in its time, as he said in Ecclesiastes. You've been doing all these things. What, what do you have for me this morning? What do you have for me as I, as I pray this week, as I go through my day this week? Like, what are you inviting me into? And could I please stop talking so much to you, about you, about myself, about what's bothering me? And could I take some time just to listen to who you are and what you do? I, a lot of it to me just comes down to when we come to God, Let's drop our own agendas, you know? Like, like, what's the thing that I want to accomplish? Who cares? God, what do you want from me? So often I think we come to God and it's like, we're, we come to God trying to defend ourselves, right? Like, okay, God, I, yeah, I, I know, like, I could be more patient. I, I could be less angry. Um, I could be less lustful. Like, I could be, and we, we kind of come to God in those ways. And we're kind of like defending, like, but here's why that's not that bad. Or here, here's why, like, it's, it's okay. Or the, I'm kind of working on it, God, you know. And, and so we're kind of defending ourselves to God often. I think sometimes we come to God and we're trying to, like, prove ourselves to him. Like, God, you can see all the things I'm doing. Look at how, like, my, my prayer life is up 15% over last week, God. Like, isn't this great, you know? We're, like, trying to prove something to God. And, um, and sometimes, I think, too, we come to God and we're trying to just remain ourselves, right? We're just like, God, like, I'm coming to you, but I really am happy with how my life's going right now. And I don't want to make any changes, but I'm here. I'm checking in, but, like, I don't want to change much. And I think instead of all those approaches, just saying, God, what, what do you want from me, right? Like, what do you want for me? Like, what do you want with me? And just offering ourselves to God. And, and who knows? Like, maybe, maybe it is, like, maybe, I mean, God obviously has all of us exactly where he wants us. But I think there's always so much more that he's inviting us into, right? And there's all these places in my heart that beyond the, the like, obvious sin things, um, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm thinking wrong, when I'm speaking wrong, when I'm treating other people wrong, like, beyond that, there's so much more of me that I think God wants to unlock. Uh, so much more of me that I think he wants to shape and, and, and just be that much more present in, like, who I am. Like, like it's, it's how he crafted me and created me. And so coming to him without my agenda and just saying, God, what do you want from me? Um, it just makes us more of who he des designed us to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful reminder. So when we make vows to God, I think part of this is there's like a vow culture that is being addressed. Um, Jesus would talk in, um, in Matthew 5 about how like people come and they like, they're like swearing all these oaths and they're swearing by like heaven or, or earth or like by Jerusalem or whatever. And Jesus just says like, um, don't take an oath. Like let, your, let, um, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this, he says, comes from evil. And so he's just saying, like, look, when you come to God, like, instead of making these big things and swearing up and down, just, like, say what you mean. Mean what you say. Just stick by it. And when you come to God, especially, just see that. So I think, I think vows can be good. I think vows can be fine as long as we're just saying, like, God, I'm, I'm talking to you directly. I'm thinking about what I'm doing, um, and I want to mean what I say. So his whole takeaway, his whole point is, like, when dreams increase, words grow many, there's this vanity that's this, like, enigma and everything else. But he says, God is the one that you must fear. The, the whole takeaway in this interlude is before he gets back to looking for meaning in life, he's reminding us. And this is really almost exactly where he's going to end in the conclusion. So he's giving us this little interlude and saying, fear God. God is the one that you must fear. Like, when you come, like, take it seriously. Picture who he really is. When we sing to him, like, let's think about who we're actually singing to. 
Um, when, we, when we come, like, stop all the foolish posturing. Stop trying to make yourself look and feel a certain way before God. He knows you. He sees you. Let's, let's fear him. Let's lift him higher. It, the, the, whole, the whole thing is the temple uh, in the Old Testament. The temple was huge. Like if we, could, if we could like go in there and see it, the temple was huge. And the whole point of that, it being huge and adorned the way it was, is that when you walked in as a worshiper, you would come into this space that was so much bigger than you were. And it would make you feel like really small. You'd come into this space and it's like, wow, I am tiny and this place is big and it's supposed to make you think of a big God. That's how all the old cathedrals were designed to be too. Draws your gaze upward and you see the smallness of yourself. But look, when you come in as a worshiper, you come in with your um, sacrifice, you come in with your ritual washings, you come to that space and if you're just looking down at what you're doing, at, at how you're preparing yourself, about how you're feeling, about how you, what you're saying, you're missing the bigness that's all around you. And it's easy through familiarity to get yourself to a point where even in that big setting, you're still just focused on what you yourself is, is doing. And the preacher is inviting us, when you enter into the house of God, like look up, like consider how big. Now, this is less than impressive in terms of like cathedral spaces, okay? Um, we've read on the lights and the sound system, but boy, it still doesn't quite get to that Notre Dame experience, you know? Um, but nonetheless, right, it's this reminder that, boy, God is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. And he is in the heavens, and he's also right here, right? And when you're in your home or you're in your car or you're with friends or wherever you are, God is there. And so there's this bigness all around us, and we could miss it if we're just looking within, if we're just focusing within. So what I want for us this morning is to recover a sense of that fear of God. Like, we need these reminders at regular intervals to, like, remember God is huge, and let's recover the sense that, like, he is so much bigger, and he needs to be worshipped, and, and, like, I need to be quiet when I come before him because he's so much bigger and wiser and better than I am. And that's huge and important. But as we've always been doing in this, in this series, um, we don't want to just end it with the Old Testament perspective. We want to jump ahead to the New Testament to see what it is that God is doing. So, so this God... Uh, we're going to jump ahead to, to, to Hebrews. And this God, who in this occasion is being told, fear him, he's massive, he's huge, he's worthy of being feared, fear him. This God took actions uh, hundreds of years after this that changed the story somewhat. And I want to look ahead to Hebrews, um, oh boy, yep, Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> and I want to read this to you because these words are about the exact same God and they are so, so important. So he says, Hebrews 4, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's this amazing thing. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes Man, when you're in God's presence, he's big, fear him, right? God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few, right? But then what happens? It, it's, not that, it's not that we change. It's not that humanity got better. It's not that we figured out religion better. What happens is that God himself, who is transcendent and in heaven while we're on earth, decided that in Jesus, he was going to be not just God in heaven, but also he was going to come down to earth. So this big God made himself small, right? As small as like a fetus and as small as a baby and as small as a little boy and then as small as a, as a grown man. That tininess before uh, all of heaven and all of earth, like the bits, big God made himself small. Why? It says in Hebrews 4, because he wanted to come so that he could sympathize with our weaknesses. 
And so we come as these worshipers, right? And we're told, like, guard your steps. This is serious business. But he came and he saw how hard it is to, like, live your life fully sold out for God, right? He saw all the things that pull us away from that. He saw what it's like to be weak and tired. And Jesus experienced all these things, but he did not fall into sin, which is beautiful for us because then he laid his life down in sacrifice for us. This beautiful, beautiful reality that the God himself, who is to be feared and is above all, said, yes, but I'm not going to consider that to be like worthy to be grasped, as it says in Philippians 2. He came and he made himself nothing, and he came because he loved us, and he saw us struggling, and he saw our minds wandering, and he saw our apathy growing, and he saw us like hurting each other and being hurt by each other, and into that he says, I am God in heaven, and these people on earth, I'm going to come and be with them, and because he came to be with us because he sacrificed himself and died for us. Like because of all of that, it says that we have this great high priest that can sympathize with us. And so he says in verse 16, some of the most important words in the whole Bible, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is so huge. I, I don't think this overturns anything in Ecclesiastes. I think Ecclesiastes still stands. God's in heaven, you're on earth, fear him. Like I think we need to guard our steps when we come to the house of God. That's so important because God is huge and powerful and big and glorious, right? So we need to have that fear of God. But we always have to hold that tension and that balance of, but at the same time, even as we fear him, this God that is to be feared has come to us and he's opened a way so that we can now have this confidence to come before him. So, so what changed? Not that we put our act together, not that we finally cracked the code for how to like have an awesome church or something like that. Like what changed is that God came to us and so we can have this fear of God, but at the same time we can have this confidence to know that when we go into the house of God, we'll take it really seriously. We'll listen really carefully. We'll, we'll be careful about the things that we say to God, but at the same time we're going to know, we're going to have the confidence of knowing we can be in God's presence, that we're actually wanted and desired there. We're invited there. We belong there because of what Jesus did. And man, that makes worship a really powerful experience to know that we can worship this big transcendent God, but also know that we belong in his presence because he wants us there. Not because we've fixed ourselves, not because we've figured it out, but because he himself has said, this is the sacrifice that I'm making to allow that to be possible and to bring us in. It is a beautiful thing. And so um, there's a tension between those two things. And we're going to jump, we're, we're going to like, I hope you enjoyed this interlude because we're going to jump back into all the depressing things in, uh, in Ecclesiastes. He's got more questing to do, and then he's going to get into um, what we're going to call deconstructed Proverbs. It's like the book of Proverbs, but those all have happy endings, and these are really depressing. And he just keeps walking through like, where is the meaning of life? What do I do when life doesn't make sense? But here's this interlude, this breath of fresh air where we can just step back and say, okay, God, I see who you are. I'm going to consider who you are. I'll still keep figuring things out in life, but I'm going to remind myself that this is where we're headed, is this God is to be feared, and he also longs uh, to be with us. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing some more. And I just encourage you to um, throw, let's throw ourselves into these songs um, with all the knowledge of what we just learned in Ecclesiastes together. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you so much for these words. Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence and thank you for the reminder that it is not about how many words we say to you. Um, it's not about the kinds of words we can say about you. Lord, I, I pray that you would just help us this morning as we sing a few more songs to be able to simply uh, acknowledge your presence, that you are here with us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the gift of 
an acknowledgement of both how great and big you are and also of how greatly you desire for us to just be here in your presence, that we belong here with you because of who you are. What a gift to have those two things. And so I pray for us, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would be real and close to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.